Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 82. My guest today is my beautiful, wonderful, gifted friend, KJ Ramsey. She's a therapist and a writer, and uh, her book, This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers, came out uh, just about a month ago. And so we uh, talked today all about suffering, about the tension between Jesus's words that, you know, all these things and more you'll do, as well as in this life, you'll have hardship. We talked about how stories that include hard things can also include great hope and love. Uh, Honestly, I, I don't think there is a more relevant conversation for the suffering that the world is experiencing right now than this one that we have right here. In scope, we're talking really about just personal pain and suffering in any context, but I know this is so uh, applicable to the entire world. I saw some stats the other day. Some Someone was, was saying that just about the entire world is uh, experiencing certain kinds of, of type A trauma right now. And so I commend this conversation to you in the most strongest and gentlest way that I can. Uh, please listen to this and please share it with your friends. There is love and grace and hope here in the midst of our deep pain. I have just been sitting here at my desk crying all morning while I edit this and I have just felt I need I needed this so bad today. And so uh, may it be a source of hope for you. I, I highly recommend you go and order KJ's book. Uh, and that'll be in the show notes, of course. But anyway, I'll get out of the way and you can listen to our conversation. KJ Ramsey, When Suffering Lingers. Okay, so hello everybody. Here we are uh, with my friend KJ, and I want to just give everybody a little bit of context for what's about to happen. KJ and I, uh, I have been meaning to do promotion on her book, and that's a really dirty sounding phrase. Let's just start that again. I have been meaning to tell you all how wonderful this book is for a while. I'm going to hold it up to the camera, even though you can't see it, because in my brain, I'm on Instagram Live right now, which I'm not. It's called This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. And I have had it for a while, and I have really been meaning to read it and get into it deep so that uh, I could do a super informed interview with KJ here. But here's what happened instead. About a month ago, KJ and I just had a phone call. And it was probably more than a month ago. Ooh, when was it? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. And all time has ceased being normal, <laughs> become meaningful. And so we just had a Zoom call, but we probably talked for like two hours. And we just had a, I think, a really warm, mutually encouraging, wonderful time. And so before we even start talking about the wisdom and compassion and science and spiritual care that she communicate so gracefully in this beautiful book, I want you to know that this is someone who uh, reached out to me and we had a real great phone call. 
and encouraged one another, despite the fact that she was in severe chronic pain that day and had to change positions a number of times from room to room, different chairs, different sets of blankets and heaters. She embodies this message really well. So I want you all to know that. Uh, and now you have to awkwardly, KJ, come back from that and say, hi, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Thanks. You're welcome. No, I, it's so it's so good to be with you. And, and I think that's what has drawn me to you is you, you make space for people to feel seen and heard. So thanks for giving me that and that conversation. And hopefully we can widen that space for other people in our conversation today. Yes. Yes. Let's do exactly that. So I'm going to dive right in. Uh, this, this book is uh, really beautiful. I have, I have read now like a bunch of books in this realm of mental and emotional, spiritual integration with lament and suffering, shall we say. And each one is mm -hmm. beautiful and has different language and a different avenue, a different angle of attack and a different approach because we're all beautiful, wonderful, different people. Uh, okay, I just want to go. Triune Love, you, one of your early chapters, uh, you talk biologically, spiritually, neurologically, bringing all this together that we are made for relationships. And you bring that back to the fact that we're created by a triune fundamentally relational God. I mean, I've spent decades trying to get my head and heart around that. Um, it's amazing. It's deep. It's huge. Uh, talk to me a bit about where that starts for you. Yeah. Well, the place that that started for me in terms of my own exploration was sitting in a classroom, uh, hearing my forward writer, Kelly Capic teach and him describing the the mystery of that we worship a God who is three in one, and at the time he he made he drew on the um, whiteboard like a picture of a mountain, and that we have these lines of God's transcendence and God's imminence. So God's like his holiness, his otherness. And then God's nearness and his and his humanity in Christ, and that it's it's like the Trinity and God's transcendence and eminence together are like a mountain with a peak that we cannot see. Hmm. That we where these lines of who God is intersect are beyond our sight. And that instead of trying to climb to the top of that mountain and see what that peak looks like we could bow down and worship and wonder that this is real. Hmm. And that was how the Trinity was introduced to me as a 18 year old college sophomore, uh, the year before I got sick. And it's out of, it was out of that place of learning that what can't be understood can be full of wonder and can be a place of worship that actually started my exploration of how I can enjoy the delight of a God who I can't understand 
in a body and story that I will never understand as good and real. So that's kind of where it started. So that's, that's pretty foundational. Yeah. So that's, that's behind the whole book and my whole life. (laughs) That's amazing. I feel like I've been deconstructing everything in order to rebuild on that kind of foundation. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's such a, honestly, it is such a grace that that was what, where I was taken the year before I got sick. And, and also as wife, uh, Tabitha was, was my mentor in college and she, so I spent a lot of time at their house and she introduced me to Kathleen Norris um, a few months before I got sick to this writer who writes about a more contemplative spirituality where I was for the first time in my life introduced to things like silence and solitude and Lectio Divina. And I didn't know what was about to happen in my life. I didn't know that I was about to be thrust into a story that I would not be able to parcel out and understand and that that story would remain my story for the rest of my life. I didn't know that, but God somehow put into my life these gave me a pocket of peace where I could see I don't have to understand everything in order to feel loved Mm. and that there is another stream of spirituality that makes space for us to tolerate what we cannot understand and have it be transformed into a space of worship and communion. Mm. And I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful that that was the the gift that was handed to me in the months leading up to me getting sick and it never leaving. Um, Yeah. yeah. Wow. So walk us through you getting sick and what that has meant. Yeah. uh, It's been 11 years now. I was 20. I was a junior in college and I, out of nowhere, um, in a matter of a few days, I, couldn't walk and I couldn't hold a pen. I couldn't open my Bible. Uh, and that pain and inflammation and swelling, it never went away. I eventually was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis, AS. It took four years to get a diagnosis. So there's four years of being told that I was making it up. That wasn't that bad. Um, while while experiencing barely being able to work or sometimes barely being able to leave my bed. Um, That was how I spent my 20s. I'm 31 now. Um, I've still never had a day in these 11 years without pain. Uh, And yeah, it's part of my story. It's not my whole story. Uh, But it's like uh, suffering is, is a companion in my story and a occupant in my house and I could treat it like an invader who's here to take away my home and my happiness Uh, or I could become friends with it and hear what it has to say at the dinner table and uh, perhaps that time at the table could turn into a beautiful conversation and that's what's happened and um, it's where I've 
It's where I've learned to hear the story of a savior who chose to suffer because he loves me and he loves you. And that story has become my truest story. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Immediately I'm torn between three different poles. The first one is because we have a a relationship already. I know the truth and simple, simple truth and honesty and goodness of everything you're describing and your book Mm. is a wonderful gift that everyone needs to read. The next so that, I mean, in a sense, that's not a, an opposing pole to these other two poles, but it's a factor, okay? Okay, okay. The, the next pole is make peace or make friends with the invader. And, and playing through my head is the enemy comes to uh, steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you have life in the fullest. And I think the sim- probably the, the simplicity of that is what drives a lot of, I think, the healing desire in the movement that I'm a part of is just very simply, mm-hmm. do we want this? No. Did Jesus heal the sick? Yes. Did Jesus say greater things in my name you will do? Yes. Great. End of discussion. Let's just get to work. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer totally satisfied with that anyway, but it been part of my programming since I was 13. So it's a big thing that rears up in my head. Okay. What do we do with that? And then of course, the other piece is, I mean, maybe not of course, but in any way, the third pole is, but you're absolutely right. Scripture is full of suffering. And I mean, the one thing Jesus promises we will have is hardship and suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's a constant theme and so, so I'm obviously these are tensions that you actually like. I sit here as, as as abstractions and try to think up and try to come up with a wise and smart answer. I mean, they're they're not entirely abstractions because I do have suffering. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. These are these are I'm sure not tensions that are only abstractions for you either. I think these are actually the poles at which we all feel stretched between and it's just that we don't usually name it and we don't usually uh, acknowledge the point on the opposite end of where we want to be or what we want to express as what is faith so Mm. yeah I don't think it's an abstraction I think it's it's probably a massive part of your reality yes I think that is true I think that's my fear speaking uh, because of the level of pain that you go through. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer that um, all pain matters. Mm. All suffering matters and there's no hierarchy. And um, if anything, I think what my, my intense level of pain and, Pro, how prolonged it has been just makes me uh, see that anyone's pain really matters and I want to give it space because I know, so to go back to that tension that you're just bringing up, 
yeah, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but my good shepherd sits at the table with me. Mm. I have what I need. And I know that you do too. And so I think I'm always just wanting to help us sit at that table and see that the shepherd's here for all of us, you know? Mm. (laughs) I have like a segue that I'd love to make right now, but I actually kind of just want to sit at the table with the shepherd. I know, me too. You know, there's this whole thing about the sheepfold, how the the sheepfold didn't have a gate. Hmm. And so the shepherd would come and sit in the opening and would be the essentially the barrier himself. Hmm. I mean that that's that's where that that passage is talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean isn't it's not just that he sits at the table with us, though of course he does, but that it, it, he makes a barrier of his flesh. Yeah. He has forever, he has forever changed what suffering is so that we truly do not have to fear these things that stay in our lives they because jesus went the infinite distance to death he has made every part of human experience and pain a place of his presence mm. and when we simply decide that suffering is something that has to be removed in order for God to be good and us to be faithful. We miss going to the depths where Jesus went and finding that he has covered it all with his love. And in every place that I am fearful and faithless and hopeless and crying out for relief, I get to absorb his trust in the father as mine and I am changed. Mm. I am transformed and you are transformed. That's, that's what I'm trying to invite us to in, in the book and every conversation I get to have. Mm. That is a beautiful framing. Cause I think what, what I've been what I've heard a lot in, in the world that I inhabit and have inhabited, which has so many gifts, but one of those things is you kind of like every area where that same list that you just enumerated, every area where the response would be, you have been believing a lie. Yeah. And so that kind of makes me feel shitty about myself. <laughs> Excuse my language, everybody. Um, But what you just said was that actually in every one of those areas, I get to 
imbibe, I get to inhale, I get to receive and be received by one who suffers with me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is transformative. And so whether or not I was believing a lie, I am changed nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. Never, whether you were believing a lie or whether you have spent your wheels, your years spinning your wheels trying to see how a story that includes hard things could also include great hope and love. Uh, God has been here all along and God is patient, so patient with us. That's part of the metaphor of sheep that we are sheep. We, we can't understand. And I think that takes us back to the, something I write about in the first chapter, I think it's the first chapter of the book um, about original sin that like, The original sin was Eve reaching for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We want this knowledge of why things are the way they are. And we want to declare our Mm. knowledge of God's goodness as the truth that prevails over any darkness. Um, But faith was never about knowledge. Like that was the, that was the original sin is reaching for that knowledge that, that God had said was off limits because it was too big for her body to hold. And it's too big for our bodies to hold. We can't contain it. We can't stomach it. We can't, we cannot come to a point of understanding this. It will Mm -hmm. literally make you uh, go crazy and be not calm, not, joy filled, you know, um, that we've confused, we've confused faith with fact seeking. And, and I think it makes it hard to then see the face of Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then to allow our faces to be dripped with tears and for that to be a place where we are united to Christ in love, it's a reversal. Mm-hmm. It's the mountain that has the peak that we can't see, but where we can bow down and worship and be embraced with arms of love. Yes. Yes. Wow. You wrote, suffering is like a terrifying mountain whose peak is covered in clouds we find ourselves midway in an ascent we did not choose. Are you talking to that, that cloud of glory of the top of the mountain that we can't see like at the same time as talking to the mental cloud of confusion? Yep. Yeah. I think that when we, when we, when we are in prolonged seasons of suffering or even um, stretches of days that are particularly hard we are stepping into that mountain space and in that in that chapter of the book i'm talking about this space where we come up against our limits of understanding 
we come up against our desire to reach for the fruit of that tree that Eve reached for to understand good and evil. And when is this evil in our life going to stop that it's these spaces where we are confounded and confused that God is creating new life. So yeah, that's the mountain The mountain, the mountain that exhausts us and terrifies us is also the mountain where God's transcendence and eminence are coming together. And if we could stand there, if we could be still, if we could actually not try to, to run away, um, find a path down the mountain, we would be transformed by this glory. Mm. Because of Jesus, we don't have to turn our face away like Moses did. Yes. We, we can be seen. We beholding fully with unveiled faces. Have you ever read The Ascent of Mount Carmel? No. It's devastating. It's wonderful. Write but it really reminds me of what you're talking about. St. John of the Cross, um, mm. you know, who yeah. wrote Dark Night of the Soul. And, and, yeah. and, and in The Ascent of Mount Carmel, he talks about this path it's it's quite merton-esque right i mean obviously it predates merton um yeah this this ascent of the mountain where in order to in order to know anything we must know nothing in order to have anything we must have nothing and this stripping away process as we ascend the mountain of god's glory that has so often been framed, I think, for us to, at least again in my space, as like a, then I will know God, then I will commune with God in a very, in a way that my expectation is that I will know, that I will mm-hmm. have an experience that is definable and describable somehow. But what we instead encounter is often horrifying darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, even an absence of what we thought we knew God's presence to feel like. Mm-hmm. And I know this maybe to the casual listener sounds like nothing they want to be involved in, <laughs> but the number of people who I have observed such veracity and vitality of their faith and spiritual life that have gone through this path of unknowing is too big to ignore. Mm-hmm. or too commonly spoken of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that understanding the way that our brains and bodies work is actually a particularly compelling uh, invitation for why not understanding uh, why your story is the way it is could actually be a space of grace for you. Okay, let's do that. Unpack that for me. Yeah, so I think that we get trapped in these cycles of trying to make sense of our suffering and our world and what is actually happening in our brains and our bodies when we come up against these painful experiences, our painful emotions. um, We are... Our, our bodies are um, being flooded with neurochemicals like cortisol and we are experiencing disintegration. 
So um, you can't see this on <laughs> on our uh, podcast. I'm kind of showing the hand model of the brain that when we feel fear, we feel um, threatened, like our sense of self is being threatened. And where is God? Why would he allow this? And uh, we stay in this state of like pleading for relief. Uh, our brains, we're not able to access the prefrontal cortex of our brains, which is the part of us that makes sense of who we are, that helps us uh, regulate our painful emotions, that helps us feel like we are safe and good and loved. And when we stay in this heightened state of trying to make sense of things, um, we're not able to give our bodies what they actually need in order to feel embraced and safe and mm. held. And so I think the common Christian approach to suffering that mostly is like try to find the purpose in your pain and find the hidden sin that you need to repeat, repent of and also like pray ardently for healing constantly it 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 takes you out of the tenderness of what god has actually created your body to need to be held and soothed mm. and so these points of disconnection and fear and overwhelm and these massive questions we have about god could actually be prompts to turn toward your whole self and embrace that you are one whom God loves, whom God delights in, and whom in whom God dwells. Mm. And if you could be where you are and breathe deeply, offer your body a way to rest in the embrace that this invisible thing you can't see and can't understand might actually be true, that God is here and you are loved. Your body can receive the calm that it needs in order for you to come back to a state of integration where you can cognitively notice that God is here and feel that it's true and feel like yourself again. Mm. So I think that our common Christian cultural way of approaching suffering actually bypasses the process that God created for us to come back to a state of wholeness mm. and to feel his embrace and kindness in every part of who we are. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is a beautiful summation i've never okay i've seen all those bits and pieces at play but i've never quite heard it encapsulated like that especially in regards to the pleading position because i've definitely seen I've, i definitely have that understanding that it's like we're in that kind of fight or flight mode but it's typically framed in one of like i've i've been attacked but of course that if we're relating to our sickness as this to our suffering rather as this invading force that we're pleading, pleading God would deliver us from. We, I guess, yeah, we stay in that zone. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So God made us with the capacity to 
come back to a state of peace and joy and calm. Uh, but it, it happens. Part of, part of it is pleading. Part of it is crying out like a child cries out for their mother or father. And, and then there, um, there's this mysterious experience of being heard. But the issue is that we tend to, as Christians, <clears throat> uh, we tend to think that our fear and our fragility, our faithlessness, our doubt is something that has to be dispelled in order for us to remain faithful. Like there's this pocket of emotional expression that is simply in most churches and, and relationships not allowed. That is actually what we need in order to embrace the gospel. Yes. And so it's this, it's this uh, actually far more honest faith that is exemplified in the Psalms and then on the lips of our Savior himself throughout his ministry and all the way to the cross that is what we could engage and experience for our whole selves to know that we are still held in God's love and that the, the end of the story has been written is not finished, but it is, it has been written like this too shall last is not simply saying your suffering is the reality that will be here forever. It's saying the kingdom of Jesus is what lasts and you have been united to Christ. He is here. Know his presence, absorb his presence so that his faith and trust become your truest reality. And God's words of you are my beloved become who you are. Suffering is the place where that becomes true. Mm, come on. Oh, thank you. I'm loving this. Um, <laughs> it's a joy. We'll take a quick pause just for me to say thank you to my Patreon supporters. You guys make this possible for me. Thank you so much. It is a great honor to be able to share this work with you and to receive the ongoing support and encouragement of my patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $3 a month. It would be very much appreciated by me and my family. You can go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle to join our community. Thank you so much. We're trying, we're trying in our community to open up spaces for in-process testimony, for yeah. stories that aren't all tied up with a bow. It's new for us. We do not feel in any way that we are excelling at it, but especially given the COVID context, it feels like a foolish invitation to ignore. Um, hey, so mm -hmm. this sucks. We all hate this. Not one of us likes doing church online, except for the fact that we don't have to get out of bed. Um, so, you know, we're trying with our, our leadership team to create more space, but it's very, it's awkward put it that way. We, we're not used to it and we're struggling with how to foster and welcome people to come to the front and share their testimony when it doesn't sound the way we're used to them 
sounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I read you, something that you wrote? Um, sure. Yeah. Because you've, you've, there's a couple of things that when I flipped the book open this morning, really just like struck me viscerally. There's two, there's one sentence that's from near the beginning. And then there's a larger section from another chapter and I'll read them together. Uh, but this first sentence is from your chapter on triune love. Suffering feels like getting lost in the forest while the rest of the church charges ahead. And as a charger that I felt called out big time. Um, <laughs> so that it worked. <laughs> it worked. It sure did. I was like, Oh, pause. So that plays into then the, the, the next piece is from a whole chapter dedicated to the subject, the communion of the saints. And, and you write, church is where I felt most alone and most alive. Others who suffer tell me the same. Going to church can be exquisitely painful and incredibly beautiful when we are wrestling at the foot of the cross for the rest Jesus promised on wooden pews or cloth-covered seats among the bodies of gathered saints whose smiles and lifted hands seem to speak stories of gladness, a suffering body can feel like putty stretched and spread to the margins of the room. Can you give me any thoughts or paint any picture or give us any insight on, on as a expression of the body that is trying to create space publicly, communally, for more stories than just the gladness where where do we go with that yeah well the word that really struck me in and how you just introduced that was the word awkward and i would invite you and your community and anyone who's listening to embrace what feels awkward. We in our culture have such a, we privilege and prefer things to be pretty. And that includes our worship and how we relate to one another. Uh, But our God was born just like, Every one of us, Jesus was born through the womb of a woman, came out as a sticky infant, cried, needed his mother's milk, walked and talked in a body that pooped. <laughs> God became human. I mean, that's, that's awkward for us. <laughs> and this is the heart of our faith. Right? Yeah, I'm like saying things that are a little bit awkward. Like no one wants, it's, it doesn't feel right to talk about God like that. Um, I think that great holiness and hope happen when we make space for things to be imperfect and in process. And often what that looks like is it feels and looks awkward. It's not tidy. It's uncomfortable. It does what that first, um, what that first line you read did in you. It makes, it kind of stings a little bit. It's a little weird. So we need to make space in our communities and in our conversations with one another 
for words that are unsettling and truth that is a little terrifying that we don't have answers for. Um, and to come there with this posture of expectation that here where we are uncomfortable, we will see Jesus mm. who made himself human in a way that is so hard for us to fathom. So yeah, I think it starts with this awkwardness. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be tidy. You can say things that make us scratch our heads and make us wonder, have you lost your faith? Because we can rest ourselves and you and your identity in the heart of God who holds us. And we don't have to be so afraid about getting everything right and making sure that you don't uh, drown in a pool of sorrow because God is God and we are not, and we are here to bear witness to him. Mm. And when we are weak, he is strong. And, and so all these stories of weakness that scare us are a place where we can see Christ's power perfected. Mm. Right. So it's like, okay, <laughs> I, I'm used to high watermark testimonies as displays of God's power. But when, when scripture tells us like in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Th- th- there's another way of viewing that. Because um, mm-hmm. hmm. weakness, I mean, yeah, we, we, we love the, amazing sparkling testimonies um and and those are true man god does heal god does amazing things that are stunning and those stories need to be told uh and and paul said where is it's in his weakness that he experiences christ's power being perfected well paul on a ship that's about to be ship shipwrecked uh, I want to think that that experience of weakness and terror did not look pretty, <laughs> right? Like if I was on a ship um, that was sinking, there would be some screaming. There would probably be some expletives. Uh, <laughs> like that's part of the testimony. That's part of it. Like are the, you know, my places of weakness there, there are tears and, and gosh, sometimes I don't, it doesn't, my faith doesn't look so pretty. Mm-hmm. It looks like my selfishness coming out and me being bitchy to mm-hmm. my husband. And then finding that I'm still loved and I'm still embraced and that I don't have to be that person. I, I, that is what is a story where Christ is present and I am loved and, and it's, it's awkward and it's very human and, in, and it needs to be heard so that we can experience our painful places as places of Christ's presence. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's good. That's good. You wrote as well, uh, 
you touched a couple of times here on it in different places, like this idea of the fruit of the spirit. And even just then talking about, you know, when we're, we're honest and, and, and our suffering is coming out as unpleasantness to those around us. You, you describe the, the fruit of the spirit, you lay them all out and, and you talk about when we're guided by grace and, and the love that flows from, from God and within us. And then you tied it directly to a well-integrated prefrontal cortex, as we discussed mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it brings me back to, to the need to be honest, right? Like how can we be present if we're not honest? Mm-hmm. Which I can already hear some people are going to say, well, just because you're honest doesn't mean you have to be unkind about it. Um, sure. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in, in those moments where I am unkind to my spouse, uh, this experience that I'm accepted by God doesn't, it does not excuse my sin. It provides a safe haven for my truest self to be soothed and uh, strengthened so Mm. that my sin does not have to be the controlling feature of who I am. We have the mind of Christ. So when I am honest, I can learn that I am held and I can allow the mind of Christ, his love, his trust in the Father in unspeakable circumstances, his faith to become the controlling feature by the Spirit of my whole self. Mm. My sin, my sin gets dissolved by the Spirit not by me covering it up um, or trying to make myself prettier than I am, but by finding again and again in all my experiences and places of shame, Christ has come near. Mm. And, and when we talk about, you, you pointed out, um, you know, I talk about the fruit of the spirit and, the fruit of the spirit really are a well-integrated prefrontal cortex, like we were talking about a little bit ago. That experience of integration involves like, being honest about where we are, being honest about uh, the fact that we feel flooded by fear and overwhelm. It's, it's beginning there with that honesty that can put us on a trajectory of remembering Christ is with us and that the spirit is here, that the, the spirit is giving us what we need to be in Christ's love. Yes. Yes. Wow. How, and maybe this is another whole thing. But I mean, there's there's really good reasons we run from the pain. There's really good reasons we don't want to be present. That we, I mean, that we numb, that we escape, that we over spiritualize. Like it's not just because we want to. I mean, when the pain is too much, as you well know, how do we make that shift when we just can't face another day? How do you make that? Like how do how do you make up each day, KJ? 
Yeah. Well, I have to make that shift a lot. Um, so much, which I both loathe, loathe and love um, because there's this, there's always an invitation in my dysregulation to be seen and soothed and mm-hmm. held because of the spirit. Uh, I think it pain, like I talk about in the book, pain um, prompts this experience of disintegration and disconnection. So we feel we are disconnected from the, the parts of us within that that make us feel safe and okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we also feel disconnected from God and one another. And knowing that, when we begin to see this is kind of what's happening within our brains and bodies and within our relationships, pain can become a prompt to pause. And if we pause, we can pay attention to ourselves, our whole selves, including our bodies, as though we truly are people whom are, who are loved by God. And I find over and over again that the pause is where the Spirit's power shifts my experience of suffering hmm. uh, and allows me to seek what I need, which is often soothing, uh, paired with truth <laughs> of what my truest story is. So there's that pause, which is literally like taking, for me, often taking a few breaths. Like I know that when I'm in pain, or I feel overwhelmed by my big emotions that my body needs regulation. And so I carry the, the another word, as you know, um, for the spirit of God is the breath of God. The breath of God is in me. This facet of my body that I need to sustain my life, my inhale and my exhale are here and I can, when I pause and take some deep breaths, slow down the rate of my breathing, I am both remembering that the spirit of Christ is in me and offering my body physiologically what she needs to come back to a state of wholeness. Mm. So that's the number one thing that I do every day throughout the day is I remember to breathe. So I don't have to stay breathless when we're, when we're stressed, we're overwhelmed, we're dysregulated. Um, our rate of breathing is often faster. Hearts are pounding. The spirit of God is in you. You can be where you are. Breathe. This will give you what you need. So pausing has power. And I think from, from that pause of acknowledging where I am, that I feel flooded, um, I can also reach out. I can reach. There's This comes back to both things are like a picture of our attachment and how suffering is often an invitation to repair and to secure attachment with God, self, and others. And that, so in that moment of pausing, I'm, um, I'm reaching for God and I'm realizing that he's, he's turned his gaze at me and that relationship is secure. He's actually here. There's over time as I turn again and again, see my father 
cares. Uh, I, I experience less of the, the cycle of feeling abandoned and forsaken and more of the strength and soothing of I'm connected to God always, Mm. but also I'm, I can reach for his people. I can let my faithlessness and my hopelessness uh, be heard by some people who are safe and empathetic and they can have hope and faith on my behalf. And in that interchange of me sharing honestly with them about where I am, I learn that it's okay to be where I am and I am loved and they are not ashamed of me. Uh, So I experience God's love there. But I also, I also experience the, what you know, you read from um, the chapter about triune love. I experience something at the heart of what it means to be human, which is that I am not an individual being. I am inextricably connected to others. And it is within my connection to and need of others that I most reflect the image of our God who is three in one. And so this place of pain becomes in my reaching and in my pausing becomes a place where I get to see who I really am, loved, connected, seen, heard. And that ends up giving my whole self what she needs to be strengthened and to stand firm in Christ's love today Mm. and to know that his story is true. Mm. Amen. That is beautiful. Would you pray for us, my friend? Definitely. Yeah. Father, thank you that you see us. Thank you that you have made a way for us to experience your love right in the middle of our weariness. Thank you that Jesus is a high priest who understands our weakness more than even we do. Thank you for making your story real in my life and spirit I pray that you would fill your saints who are listening today with courage to see that their stories are still a part of yours. Spirit, fill them. Give them curiosity about their lives and their suffering. Strengthen them. Lord, provide safe places, safe people for the saints who are listening to this to be heard, give them courage to speak the truth about what they're living without shame. And in every place of their shame, God, help them see that they have been clothed by Christ's love and his willingness to become shame for us. Give us courage, God. Give us courage to be where we are and to be who we are. And God, out of our stories would you carry your song of love to this world god we ask for this world's healing 
in this pandemic, in all the lives that are being lost, God, we ask, let your kingdom come and your will be done. We believe that you are as good as you say you are and that you are as present as you say you are too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, KJ. Friends, go and and hit the show notes to order a copy of This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. It is, uh, I I believe, a really important work. Uh, It's so relevant and so timely. And I have sat around the table reading from this book uh, in tears and uh, sharing words with with friends and uh, yeah i really believe for for many many people there is a message in here for you so please go and consider that in other news i'm not sure if i mentioned this but my website jonathanpuddle.com which includes this blog was shortlisted for the Best Blog in Canada Award, uh, Best Christian Blog in Canada, which is sponsored by Crossroads Communications. It's the David Maines Best Blog of the Year Award. So the, uh, this Saturday night, there is going to be the, uh, the the awards show uh, sponsored by the Word Guild, uh, which is Canada's Christian Writing Association. So very excited. Uh, tune into that. You can find the Word Guild on Facebook, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, excited to be included with some wonderful uh, writers and bloggers um, across Canada. Uh, so yeah, tune in to see how that goes. Thank you guys for listening. May you find hope and may you find love. May you find in the midst of your suffering, God very, very close to you. Grace and peace to you guys.